Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Seeds and Weeds podcast, brought to you by Small House Farm. If you're looking to celebrate plants and the people that love them, then this is the podcast for you. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Bevan Cohen. All right. Well, we have got a fun show for you today. We're going to be doing five questions with Joseph Lofthouse. Joseph is a seed saver and yoga teacher from Paradise, Utah, and he's also the author of the book, Landrace Gardening. Today, Joseph is going to tell us why promiscuous tomatoes are his favorite tomatoes. After the interview, I'll be sharing my top five favorite seed catalogs, so you'll want to stick around for that. But first, I have some exciting news that I'd like to share with all of you. In the previous episode, I mentioned a book series project that I've been working on for Timber Press, and I promised that I'd give you all the details today, so here we go. On May 9th, we'll be publishing five books for Timber Press's Grow Great Vegetables State-by-State series. This has been a super fun project, and I am stoked to finally see these books released into the world. So the five books that I've contributed to this series are Grow Great Vegetables in Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, and Wisconsin and Minnesota. I've worked with my publicist to organize a promotional tour and support the books that'll kick off in May, and I'm going to have the opportunity to visit some of my favorite botanical gardens, as well as some great garden clubs and master gardener organizations throughout the Midwest. If you want to check out my tour schedule or pre-order your copy of the Grow Great Vegetables book, you can find all the links you need at seedsandweedspodcast.com or at my personal website, bevancohen.com. Now, let's get on with the interview. Joseph Lofthouse is a gardener, seed saver, plant breeder, and yoga teacher who lives in Paradise, Paradise, Utah. He's also the author of the book Landrace Gardening, which he independently published in spring of 2021. Today, Joseph is sitting down with us to answer five questions. Joseph, I am so excited to have you on the show today, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Um, It's a pleasure to be here. So we're going to do the segment five questions. So I've got five questions lined up for you um, that we're going to get into. But first, before we do that, how about you just tell everybody at home a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? I am a farmer up in the mountains of Utah. And one of the things about farming in high up in the mountains is that it's an ecosystem that's totally different than what the commercial seed companies are breeding for. And so I had to develop my own varieties And so I became a plant breeder so that I could be a better market gardener. The way that I found was the best to do the plant breeding was allowing genetic diversity in the plants, allowing them to cross-pollinate, and then using survival of the fittest selection to get the strongest plants for my ecosystem. I dig it, man. That's awesome. Very cool. All right. So let's just jump right into this. Five questions. The first one, right off the top, I'm going to put you on the spot. If you had to pick a favorite plant or plant family, Joseph, what would it be? So what I'm most in love with right now is the promiscuous tomatoes. And those are tomatoes that are 100% outcrossing because one thing that happened with the domestic tomatoes is when they were domesticated, they got inbred and like 95% of their diversity was left in the in the wildlands. Tomatoes are really hard to breed because they're They're so inbred and there's just not a lot of diversity to work with. I'm breeding with wild tomatoes and there is so much diversity in there in flavors, in colors, in plant growth. 
so that's really what I've been in love with for the last, say, five years or six years. Mm, I dig it. I love a good tomato. Okay. So then in your book, Landrace Gardening, you talk about modern Landraces. So the question is, can you tell us more about the difference between modern Landraces and the traditional Landraces that indigenous growers would have grown for, I mean, hundreds, if not thousands of years? What's the difference between the two? So the main difference between them, as I see it, is where I'm growing, there are no ancient land races. There's nothing available except commercial varieties that are highly inbred. And so the reason I use the term modern land races is to bring in the idea that I'm going back to that ancient tradition in the best way that I can. And the best way that I can is to get genetically diverse varieties and let them cross-pollinate and plant them year after year after year in my place so that they get used to my habits as a farmer. They get used to the ecosystem. They get used to the soil. They get used to my what my customers like and don't like so that the plants and the community are all um, coming back to that idea of a land race and being intimately connected with each other, even though we had to start with modern varieties. Excellent. Okay. So my next question, I was going to ask you about a recent garden success, but I think instead a more valuable question might be, what is uh, one of your most recent garden failures? And specifically the question is, what is the lesson that you learned from a recent garden failure? So one of my ongoing garden failures that is just kind of sad for me is watermelons because I plant watermelons and yes, I harvest seeds, but they haven't consistently become reliable for me. And I think that part of the reason for that is I'm just taking them too far out of their preferred ecosystem. And so they just fail year after year for me because I'm just asking too much of the crop. It would be like me trying to grow citrus here. It ain't happening. Well, it could happen in a greenhouse or some kind of sheltered wall or something like that. But in any real sense of the thing, I was just asking too much of the plants. So the lesson I learned is just to be content with what I can grow and what thrives here. Like any turnip that I plant is going to grow just fabulous. And it's just going to be joyful, even if it comes from a commercial variety. So I haven't spent much time breeding with turnips because They just fit my ecosystem right out of the bat. But yeah, watermelons are my big disappointment in gardening. So then the question here really with the struggle with the watermelons is what is the particular lesson that you think that you're learning from that? I'm just learning to be content with what I can grow. Oh, I love that. And giving up on what is just unavailable to me. Absolutely. That, you know, and that can be one of the most challenging things for me, at least in the garden is, you know, if something doesn't work out, it's hard for me to let it go, even though Uh it may may never work out. But, you know, that I'm so persistent, it's hard to let go. So that applies not only to the garden, but to a lot of things just in regular life, too, doesn't it? Oh, yes, it does. Um, My grandfather, my earliest garden memory is harvesting scarlet runner beans with my grandfather. And he grew a variety that he'd grown for like 50 years. And I have never been able to grow, reliably grow scarlet runner beans. And so I, I eventually just said I'm content not growing them. That's tough to let that go though. I know it's, it's a, it's my most precious garden memory. Uh, so here's my here's my follow up without asking a question and breaking the rules of the segment here. Um, okay. I'm I'm assuming where you live um, in Utah there at a higher elevation that you have a limited number of growing days. 
So my my growing days, I say, is a hundred, but it might be, or my frost free days, but it might be eighty four to eighty eight, which is wonderful for selecting for short season varieties. Because when I send my seeds to some place hot, then those seeds can come on early in the season and produce before it gets too hot, and they can get a second crop later in the season. But so that was a big reason why I chose to breed my own varieties was just because the season, the frost-free season is so short. Okay. So the next question here is what is a current project that you're working on uh, that you're very excited about? What do you want to plug while you're here today? Um, I'm really excited about the promiscuous tomatoes because I'm working on making them so that they're 100% outcrossing. That means that every generation, every plant will be a new F1 hybrid. And the vigor in those plants is just astonishing. The flavors, we're getting flavors like guava, plum, mango, uh, persimmon. Sea urchin was one of the flavors that a chef called it, and I don't know what a sea urchin is, but <laughs> wow! And that's the the project that just captures my heart and and my whole being. And I, I'm getting older, and so I don't really have the ambition to do a lot of the breeding that I did a decade ago. But the promiscuous tomatoes, I'll put whatever work is in necessary to get something really nice out of those. That's awesome. Okay, so the flip question here then is going to be, what is a project that you're not personally involved in that you're really excited about? So who's your shout out today? My shout out is to the community that's formed around my book and made a video course about my book. We sent in a whole bunch of seeds. They sent me seeds that we're going to redistribute. And the, the thing that I was most excited about was the tomatillos. Basically, what they sent in was feral populations of tomatillos, things that have just gone wild in their gardens and they're self-seeding every year. Like seven people sent in that kind of population of tomatillos. And that is super exciting to me because the tomatillos have the opportunity to become what I would call an ecosystem plant where they just keep producing food year after year, regardless if I'm sick, if I don't garden a year because I have to go work in the city or whatever. And that kind of a crop that is just so reliable and just takes care of itself. That really makes my heart sing. Absolutely. We have um, tomatillos we don't have coming up every year, but ground cherries, that's something that we have that I planted it once and I'll never have to plant it again. And it just kind of just does its own thing and provides us with more ground cherries than I know what to do with every single year. That is super awesome. It is super awesome. I love it. They're so good. Um, And that's my kind of gardening. It's the least amount of work possible, but you still get a, a bountiful and delicious harvest. Yes. Awesome, Joseph. Well, thank you for doing five questions with us today. So if folks want to get in touch with you um, after this, um, looking to maybe get your book or learn more about the work that you're doing, how do they find your book and how do they find you online? So online, uh, lofthouse.com is my author page. It has all the details about getting my book. Fantastic, Joseph. Thank you again for being on the show. I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Thank you, Bevan. It's been beautiful. Well, it turns out that promiscuous tomatoes don't just sound like fun, they also taste delicious. It was great having Joseph on the show today. If you hadn't had a chance to read his book, Landrace Gardening, you better get to it. It's a very interesting read. Joseph has a very unique perspective on things. And the book is available everywhere books are sold. Bookshop, Amazon, all of that. And as always, Joseph's links are in the show notes at seedsandweedspodcast.com. Now how about we do a top five list, huh? Here's my top five favorite seed catalogs. (laughs) 
Spring will be here before we know it. But while it's still wintertime, we get to fill our days dreaming of gardens to come. I love flipping through seed catalogs, fantasizing about all the different veggies and herbs and flowers that we're going to get to grow. So I've put together my list of top five seed catalogs. Now, this wasn't an easy list to make. There are so many great seed companies out there that I love to support, but most of them don't offer a printed catalog. I didn't want to leave them out, though, so I put together a top 10 list of my favorite seed companies, whether they have a printed catalog or not. Some of them are smaller, regional seed companies, and you should definitely check them out. You can find my list of top 10 seed companies posted over on our Patreon page, which I'm sure you know by now is at patreon.com slash smallhousefarm. All right, here's my top five seed catalogs. Coming in at number five is High Mowing Organic Seeds. High Mowing is a Vermont based company that was founded in 1996. I've met some folks from High Mowing at farm conferences and other events, and they're really great people. But the reason they're in my top five is because High Mowing is the only catalog that I'm aware of that exclusively offers 100% certified organic seeds. They're strongly committed to organic farming principles, and they source many of the varieties that they offer directly from independent organic seed farmers. At number four, we have Botanical Interests. This company's based in Colorado, and they've been in business since 1995. They have a great catalog that has planted and growing guides, and even QR codes that you can scan to have access to even more useful gardening info. And that's pretty cool. But I think what I love the most about the Botanical Interest Catalog and their seed packets, it's the artwork. Each variety has its own stunning, full-color illustration that brings each page of the catalog to life. It is a beautiful piece of work. My number three seed catalog this year is from So True Seed from Asheville, North Carolina. Now, So True Seed is a smaller company, but they are firmly committed to exploring and preserving the unique history of the plants, food, and culture of their region. Their catalog and the varieties that they choose to offer both reflect this dedication. Plus, it's a worker-owned cooperative business, and the artwork on the cover of their catalog is always stunning. Okay, my number two favorite seed catalog is from Seed Savers Exchange. Seed Savers is a nonprofit organization from Decorah, Iowa, and they put together a great catalog every year. But the heart of Seed Savers' work is their collection of over 20,000 varieties that they preserve in their seed bank. Sales from their commercial catalog help to fund their work, not only preserving these varieties, but research the histories and stories behind the seeds in their collection. This year's catalog introduces 11 varieties from their vault that have never before been available commercially. And my number one seed catalog this year is from Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds. Now, full disclosure, I have worked with Baker Creek on a number of projects, including the catalog, and they do offer my books on their website. But regardless of that, the catalog that Baker Creek puts together every year is unparalleled in the industry. They actually offer two catalogs, uh, both of which are loaded cover to cover with some of the most incredible photography. The smaller catalog that they offer, it's free. In it alone, it's a work of art. But their larger catalog, which they call the Whole Seed Catalog, is the largest seed catalog ever printed. It's over 500 pages of beautiful photography, rare and unique heirloom varieties, recipes, grower profiles, and seed stories detailing the histories of some of their most interesting offerings. You can find these catalogs at bookstores. They sell it at our local Barnes & Noble. But you can also order one directly from their company at uh, rareseeds.com. And there you have it, folks. That's my top five favorite seed catalogs this year. I've put links to each one of these companies down in the show notes. And don't forget, my top 10 list of favorite seed companies is over on the Patreon, which you can find at seedsandweedspodcast.com. And that's all she wrote, my friends. There's today's show. Thanks again for joining us. And remember, you can always support the podcast through our Patreon. You can find that link and many more at seedsandweedspodcast.com. Thanks again to Joseph Lofthouse for being on the show today. This episode was edited and produced by all of us here at Small House Farm. The song you're listening to right now is called Jazzy Jazz, and it's by Free Groove. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Bevan Cohen, and we'll see you next time.
Howdy, friends. Bevan here. You know, the Seeds and Weeds podcast is made possible in part by Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company, rareseeds.com. They're America's top source for rare and heirloom varieties from around the world, and they're publisher of the Whole Seed Catalog. Their 2024 catalog is chocked full of heirloom goodness, new varieties, recipes, stories, and gorgeous photographs. You can order yours now at rareseeds.com.